Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Well, good to see all of you. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 today. I'll read verses 8 through 12 here in just a little bit. You know, today we point out mothers. Mothers invest in their children, not that fathers or other family members don't. But, you know, we're just uh, pointing out uh, on this day that mothers do. Mothers, they invest a lot in their children so that they would grow and mature and, and lead a productive life. Um, they try and pass down wisdom to their children so that they can live in this fallen world of such uncertainty, but do it in a way that honors Christ. You know, they tell the, their children, this is the path, this is the way that you should go, walk in it. And, you know, the frustration comes when children ignore everything uh, that you say. I guess, you know, we can't complain because we did probably the same thing, too, as, as parents in some way, shape, or form. But, you know, it's like, okay, I have all these years of experience and learning, and I, I know about life. And they're just like, yeah, talk to the hand, whatever. Um, but then, hopefully... You know, years later, they, they come to realize, you know what? Mom, I don't know what she was talking about. You hope they, they would come to that place. You know, they, they, hopefully you know, we, we want them to come to that place as, you know, my, my mom, my parents, the people that God put in my life were telling me what a good life is all about. Sometimes people have to go through the hard life before they figure out about the good life and that's what people ultimately want don't they they want the good life the problem is that that the concept of good life has been so skewed it has been uh, perverted really because you know some think that the good life is equated with the american dream some people think that the good life is equated with fame and fortune uh, some people think the good life is being an influencer on TikTok and gets you millions of views or, you know, whatever. I know I said that weird, TikTok. Obviously, I don't do that, so, you know, at least I don't call it the Facebook or something like that. I'm not quite that old. Hey, you been on the Facebook lately? But that's what people think the good life is all about. They think the good life is something about comfort and ease and skating through life and no problems. But the thing is, God in his world has revealed that the good life has absolutely nothing to do with fulfilling your dreams. It has nothing to do with meeting your goals. It has nothing to do with satisfying your desires. In fact, the good life is the exact opposite because according to scripture the good life for you is when you give your life away the good life for you is when you give it away the good life is when you live for others not living for self you find life you find real life you find a good life when you use your life for the benefit of other people 
I mean, even Jesus himself told us this, you know, for example, in Matthew 10, 39, Jesus said, if you find your own life, if, if, meaning if you live for satisfying yourself, if you're living for self, it's all about self, you actually lose your life. But if you lose your life for the sake of Christ in service to him by serving others, you actually find your life. So in order to find the good life, you really have to lose your life in service to others. And Peter picks up on this theme in his epistle in 1 Peter. He tells us what the good life actually is about. So what we want to take away from this passage today is that living the good life, put that in air quotes, living the good life means that you live as a blessing for everyone else. Your life is served to be a blessing for everybody else. <coughs> and so we want to read verses 8 through 12 of 1 Peter chapter 3, if you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word, as we read this passage. Peter says, finally, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, affectionate, compassionate, and humble. Do not return evil for evil or insult for insult, but instead bless others because you were called to inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from uttering deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the Lord's face is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that the values that you have given through your word would permeate into our lives and be lived out not merely paying you lip service, but Lord, we actually live it out in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the, the uh, context of Peter's epistle is that we are not of this world if we are in Christ. We are pilgrims. We are sojourners. We are temporary residents. We have been given a new life in Jesus Christ, and we are waiting to live that life fully in his presence, either when we die or when he returns. But until that happens, we are to live this new life in certain ways. Now, because we are not of this world, that means that the good life does not come from this world. If we have been given new life in Christ, and our home is not here but it's in heaven with Christ, why would we think that the good life would be found down here? And so part of living out this new life is living in light of the fact that, you know what? The good life actually has nothing to do with life on this earth. The good life has to do with our spiritual life, our eternal life, our life in Christ. That's where the good life is found. And so while we are on this, if you want to call it a temporary layover, we're living life on this earth. I mean, we're here. We have to deal with it. But while we are living in this life of temporary layover, there, there is a certain way we ought to live. We ought to live in light of these spiritual facts. We live in light of the fact that this world is not our home 
Our good life cannot be found here. We're given new life in Christ. Let's live that new life here. And so, you know, a lot of Peter's epistle has to do with living out this new life on this earth while we're here until we finally go home. And part of it is you live for other people. The good life is not found in self. The good life is when you go forth and you be a blessing to others. And there's some specific context to how he talks about being a blessing, and I want to talk about that today. And first, he gives us a call to be a blessing to the church. Be a blessing to the church. Peter starts the passage in verse 8 by listing these five virtues that are found in this new life in Christ. But the, these virtues speak specifically about the context of living within the church, living amongst God's people. So this is kind of reaching back to the beginning of chapter 2 of this epistle, where we're told that, you know, we are living stones that are being built up into this heavenly structure, this heavenly temple, and, and we are part of this heavenly assembly, and being part of this heavenly assembly means that we don't live for selfish ambition, but we live to be a blessing to the other living stones. We're a living stone in the structure, we live to be a blessing to the other living stones, the other people who make up this heavenly temple this heavenly people we we are to live to be a blessing to the church and i believe that this is a timely topic because many had used the pandemic as a reason to distance themselves from the church because people found that they can get their dose of spirituality through the internet and they don't have to bother with meeting with the church and being part of a church and serving the church and serving through the church and so, you know, this is a, a blessing that we have the internet. It's a blessing that, you know, we're able to live stream. We are able to bless people who are homesick or they're homebound or, you know, even people who are on vacation or whatever, you know, they're able to keep up with the messages and what's going on at the church. I mean, it's a blessing to be able to offer that, but sometimes also then it has been turned into a curse in that some healthy, able-bodied people found that, you know what, all I need to do is go on the internet, get my shot of Jesus, and then I can just go do my own thing and, and not be an active participant in the church. They've turned it into some sort of substitute. And, and the reason, I believe, is because of the already, there was this trend already within the church of consumer mentality, right? The church exists for me. And so if the church exists for me and I can get it over the internet, hey, all, all, all the better. I can get it over the internet while I'm doing this and while I'm doing that and, and not interact with the church and not be a blessing to other people. People like the whole Burger King, I like it my way kind of thing. They, they bring it into, in, into the church. And so as a consumer, it's all about take, take, you know, take. But Peter says, no. You are to be a blessing to the church. You are part of this structure. You be a, a blessing in this structure. And you're not supposed to take, take, take. You're supposed to give and give and give. Yes, there's times when you need to be ministered to. But do not neglect the times that you need to minister. Because you've been given a gift by the Holy Spirit to minister in the context of a church. If you're physically and 
able to, if you're healthy enough to be able to. So you're be, you are to be a blessing to the church, and this blessing to the church is reflected in the virtues that are listed here. These virtues have to be about, are, are about the concept of the church and being with the church, being with the people of God, and using your gifts to bless one another. And so the first virtue is we are called to be harmonious. It means that the church is to have an accord and a harmony of thoughts and feelings about the membership, about our purpose. You know, it doesn't mean that we're some sort of cookie-cutter copies of one another. It's not that we don't have our own ideas, but it does mean that the members work together for the greater gospel good, the greater gospel goal that uh, we have. So in my mind, you know, I picture an orchestra. An orchestra is made up of all sorts of different instruments that all make their own unique sound, and yet when they work together, they make some of the most beautiful melodies and, and harmonies. But if one instrument decides, well, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing, or an instrument makes noise just to draw attention to itself, or maybe even the instrument is absent, the song is affected. And there is no harmony. There is no pleasant sound of working together. And so brothers and sisters in Christ work together in harmony for the sake of the gospel so that the kingdom of God will come and his will will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. That's part of being the church. We come together, we are in harmony. Next, we're called to be sympathetic. The word literally means to suffer like others do. It's when a person is so in tune with what another is going through that they share they share feelings. They share the sufferings of others. Uh, it makes me think of Hebrews 4.15. It tells us this is what Jesus did. It says that Jesus was touched with the feelings of our spiritual infirmities, and it compelled him. It compelled him to the cross. And so we are to be so touched with the feelings around us in the church, letting that to compel us to ministry, just as we've been called and gifted. And so we're harmonious, we're we're sympathetic, and, and then Peter says we are affectionate, or some translations will say brotherly, because it comes from the word philadelphos, you know, brotherly love. Uh, the word carries with it the, the idea of, of just a so being so close-knit, there's a loyalty to the family, so to speak. You, you care for the family. You want what's best for the family. You protect the family. It made me think of some of the comments that New Yorkers made after 9-11. You know, they said that, you know, we might be kind of grumble at one another on the inside, but if anyone from the outside comes and messes with the family, you better watch out. Nobody messes with the family. Well, we are a church family, and we are here to protect one another. We are here to encourage one another. We, we want to have that brotherly love and loyalty to one another. Brotherly and sisterly love is, you know, what, I'm, what I mean. Then Peter says we're to be compassionate. The word speaks of having a deep emotion for another such that it compels you to action. It's very much connected with sympathy. And so we see a problem and we do what we can, if we're able to, to, to help with it, to fix it. You know, we're, we're, we're moved. We see a need. We're moved by that need. We want to do something about it. And you know, that this, this has been the, the history of the church and has been the history of people who have had, have had hearts for people who are hurting you think of local ministries like the Downtown Rescue Mission, or you think of more national ministries like uh, the, you know, the, Goods, uh, the Salvation Army or, or, or something like that. You know, they saw needs and, 
and, and they met the needs. And within the context, that's our compassion. As a church, we rally around one another when there's a need. And finally, it says to be humble. It means to have a modest opinion of yourself. Because here's the thing. If you have a very high opinion of yourself, you're going to expect everyone else to serve you. It's all about me, serving me. But if you're humble, you reflect Christ and you put others before yourself. And you serve them. I mean, that's what Christ did. So, so these are the virtues that lead us to being a blessing to the church. If we take on these virtues within us, we can't help but be a blessing to the church. You know, you can be a blessing to the church or you can, you know, be a, a, a leech, I guess is the best thing I, I can think of, where you're sucking the life out of the church instead of giving life and building in life. There's times when we do have needs and we're ministered to, but there's times when we minister. And so that's where you find the good life. The good life isn't just sitting back in the pew and just constantly taking it in without letting it flow out in ministry. The good life is when you serve others within the church. And, and so the good life is here at the level of the church. But what, what he emphasizes next, what Peter emphasizes next we, 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 we don't like, but it actually is a reflection of what Christ says. And so secondly, we find that the good life means we strive to be a blessing to the antagonist, those who are antagonistic toward us, those who are antagonistic toward the faith. That's been a continual theme throughout Peter's epistle. You know, that those who are in Christ are going to suffer at the hands of the enemies. Those who are in Christ are going to suffer at the hands of unbelievers. And, and so, but, you know, because this is the case, Jesus, uh, Peter continues a theme that Jesus himself started. I mean, it's not like Peter's coming up with something new. Peter is continuing a theme that Jesus himself gave in the Gospels. When your enemies persecute you, you don't seek to avenge yourself. Instead, you actually seek the good of the other person, the one who is persecuting you. As Peter explains in verse 9, we are not to return evil when evil is done to us. We are not to return an insult when somebody insults us. Instead, we are to bless those who do such things because of the ultimate blessing that we have, been, that we have inherited in Christ. Because, you know, when, when people who are not in Christ do whatever toward us, persecute us, insult us, lie about us, uh, whatever, when, whenever they come against us because of our faith, I mean, they're acting out of their nature. I mean, that's just in their nature. They're lost. They're in rebellion against God. So, yeah, they're, they're going to speak that way toward God's people. But we have to remember that those lost people that are persecuting us, insulting us, and whatever, they are the object of God's affection. Because God wants them to come and know Christ as well. And we might be the tool to do that. They, they, God does not want them to die without knowing Christ. He wants them to be saved. 
And, and we have the message that they need. We have the life-giving gospel. We, we're the ones that have inherited the blessings of eternal life. And when we do not return evil for evil, when we do not return insult for insult, when we, when we go against the natural reaction of things, because when people do evil, when people insult, they're expecting that evil and insult are going to return back at them. And when we don't do that, they're going to wonder why. And God might use that to soften their heart so that they do accept and receive the gospel message. When you don't return evil for evil, when you don't return insult for insult, when they see the way that you live and react as one in Christ, God can use that to soften their hearts. But you know what? If you do return evil for evil, if you do return insult for insult, that door is closed. Why would they listen to you? They hit you, you hit back. Oh, by the way, Jesus loves you. He wants you to be saved. Why would I listen to you? You just hit me back. The Scriptures constantly bear witness to this call of us showing agape love toward our enemies. You know, earlier in, in chapter 2, verse 23, Peter reminded us what Christ did. when I mean, Christ was unfairly beaten. He was crucified. He was the only innocent man that ever walked the earth. Peter says that when he was maligned, he did not answer back. When he suffered, he threatened no retaliation, but he committed himself to God. And, and Jesus, by doing that, was merely living out his own teachings. Because Jesus said in Luke 6 that we are to love our enemies. Love our enemies. Agape our enemies. Not tolerate them. Not put up with them. Not ignore them. But love them. He says that when they hate us, we do good for them anyway. He says when they curse us, we pray for them. He says when they strike at us, we don't strike back. We actually turn and offer the other cheek. We are kind. We are gentle. We are generous to those who are antagonistic toward us because we follow Christ. And that goes against every natural form in our being. Everything within us from the natural man, from the flesh, wants to strike back. But we are to be different. We are not. Again, we have a new life in Christ. We are not of this world. We are not to react like the world. We are to be different, and that's, this is what marks us as being different. Because Jesus said, if you merely love those who love you or love those who are like you, I mean, what good is that? I mean, how are you different from anybody else? Pagans love pagans, anarchists love anarchists, rebels love rebels. How are you different from anyone else if you just love Christians or love those you know, within your small little group? We are called to something different. We are called to something better. Jesus said in Luke 6, 35 and 36, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing back, and then your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High because He is kind to ungrateful and evil people. 
So be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And yet there is that, that what, the old self, the flesh within us that wants to strike back at him. You know, I, I read this story about this entrepreneur who, who discovered a way to, that, well, he discovered that, that revenge can be popular and it can be profitable. Because this guy named Matt Carpenter, he started a website where patrons can order an envelope with a folded up piece of paper that is filled with glitter and send it to people they don't like. Because he says that, you know, he says this idea for sending glitter came from personal experience because glitter gets everywhere, right? And it never comes out. I mean, once there's glitter, it's like, oh, there's, there's glitter in these pews from VBS 20 years ago. And don't go anywhere now. <laughs> and there's, there's people from that back then said, yeah, that's true. You know, that's, it is. I mean, it does get anywhere. So, you know, he said, you know, when he had relatives that would put some glitter in birthday cards, Christmas cards, whatever. And it just was annoying to him. It, it bugged the stew out of him. And so he launched this site. You know, if someone's bugging you, if you're really annoyed at someone, send them some glitter. He had to sh temporarily shut down the website because he got so many orders of people wanting to get revenge on whoever by sending them glitter. You know, and that's the thing. Even if in small ways, you know what, if I can't get full revenge, I just want to annoy. I'm just going to annoy someone. I'm just going to annoy them. That is the human worldly reaction. Yeah, if I can't get back at them fully, I'm just going to send them some glitter or something like that. But you know what? We are called to something better. We, I mean, we always want to be like Christ. We always say we want to be like Christ, but how often do we want to do the hard things when it comes to being like Christ? If we want to be like Christ, then we're kind to those who are ungrateful and evil. We show mercy to the antagonist. I mean, this is part of the good life. When you, when you bless those who hate you because of your faith, or really for any other reason, but when, when you bless those who are your antagonist, you receive a blessing. I mean, you're not going to get a shiny new car, you're not going to get a promotion at work or anything like that, but you, you're going to have the satisfaction of knowing that you live like Christ. I live like my Savior, and who knows, maybe God used you in that situation to soften their hearts so they can learn the way of eternal life as well. And so the good life is being a blessing to other people, being a blessing to the church, and being a blessing to the, to the antagonist. But we, let's generalize it a little bit more. Finally and quickly, number three, just be a, a blessing to the world. Go out there and bless the world. In verses 10 through 12, Peter quotes Psalm 34, and, and, you know, he starts out there with our theme. You want to love life and you want to see good days? You want to have a good life? Then don't do evil. Go out there and do good. Do good to the world. Be salt and light. Go forth. Show Christ. Be a beacon of his light. Be a lighthouse pointing people to Christ through your goodness, through your acts of righteousness. Live out the fruit of the Spirit. 
Bless the church, bless the antagonist, go out there, bless the world in the name of Jesus. Go out there and be a blessing to the world. Now, I have to be careful with passages like this because it, it's easy for people to think, okay, that's what Christianity is. It's nothing but a whole bunch of do's and don'ts, you shalls and you shall nots, and, and, and things like that. But there's a basis for why we live like this. There's a basis for why we're called to shun evil and to do good. It's because God did the ultimate good to us when he sent his son to die for us. And so we go forth and do good because we receive the ultimate good. Jesus died for us. He rose again to give us life. I have that life now. I'm going to go out and be a blessing to other people because I have that life. I've been raised in this newness of life. Jesus did the ultimate good on the cross, raising from the empty tomb. We've been the recipients of the greatest blessing that there ever could be on this earth. Well, we're going to turn around and bless everybody else so that they would partake in that ultimate blessing. And so this whole moral and ethic of doing good is based on the finished work of Christ. Because unfortunately, some people believe that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, okay, I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven. Hey, that's it. That's it, I'm done. Okay, I did, I did the thing, I'm going, going to heaven, I'm not going to hell. That, that's not the end. Coming to Christ is not the end. In fact, that's just the beginning. Now, we don't work for heaven, but we work because we have heaven. We've inherited heaven. We've inherited the spiritual blessing. And so because I've inherited the spiritual blessing, I want to go forth and make an impact for his kingdom out there. And he summarizes it using Psalm uh, 34. He summarizes it, you know, by shunning evil and doing good. But, you know, he tells us uh, some ways that we, we can do that. We can bless the world by speaking the positive truths of Scripture and keeping our tongue from lies and gossips and negativity because in verse 10 he says, keep your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from uttering deceit. And so we're, we're supposed to be people of the truth. We're supposed to go out there and speak the truth. But this also means, you know, speaking the truth, well, it, that's the positive part, but there's the negative part of keep your lips from evil. We aren't to be marked as people who do nothing but murmur and complain. We aren't to be marked as people who talk behind other people's backs. We aren't to be marked as people who lie to get their own way. The Bible warns us against a proud tongue, a perverted tongue, a destructive tongue, a gossiping tongue, a flattering tongue. Those things are the ways of the world. We bless God by blessing the world, by speaking truth in gentle ways of encouragement, of edification, and ultimately pointing to the gospel. We also bless people by turning from evil and doing good. That's what verse 11 says. I mean, we actually go out and we seek opportunities to do good to people out in the world. I mean, we are seeking to, to do good. So we, we sometimes think that, well, as long as I'm not doing bad, and I mean, yeah, you're not supposed to do bad. You're not supposed to do evil. You're not supposed to break God's commands. But are you positively going out there and doing some good in the name of Jesus? Because this is sprinkled throughout Scripture. It's sprinkled throughout the New Testament. For example, Paul told Titus, told Titus in Titus 3.8, this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on such truths so that those who have placed their faith in God may be intent on engaging in good works. Did you hear that? Intent 
on engaging in good works. These things are good and beneficial for all people. Be intent on going out there and doing good works. Hebrews 10.24 tells us what we are to do as believers. It says, and let us take thought of how to spur one another onto love and to good works. How can we encourage one another to do good works? Because we can change people's lives when we do good and we open up you know, for the gospel message. Why are you doing this good? Let me tell you why. Because I received the ultimate good. And here's how you can receive the ultimate good as well. It's there. Good works opens that up for us. Peter also says to seek peace and pursue it in verse 11. Right? In, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, we're not called to be rioters, rabble-rousers, troublemakers. We are to seek peace with all people as much as it is dependent upon us, right? That's what Scripture says. That's what it says in Hebrews. Seek peace as much as it is dependent upon you, you know? Don't, don't go on the Internet and start a fight. You go to some of these... Man, you know, I'm part of past... I am part of pastor Facebook groups, right? Whatever and all these other theological-type Facebook groups, holy smokes, you would think that World War III broke out in Christendom. Because they are doing nothing but nitpicking about this, that, the other, and, and the other thing. And it's like, okay, if you spent so much energy tearing one another down, and you took that energy and put it toward ministry and the gospel and to evangelism... Holy smokes, we could change this world. But no, let me, let me spend my time arguing with other pastors and theologians on the internet. That's not seeking peace. I mean, if God's people aren't at peace with one another, how in the world are we going to make peace out there in the world? And in the back of our minds, we also have to remember that the eyes of the Lord are with those who act righteously. The eyes of the Lord are with those. He hears the prayers of those who act righteously, who do good. Verse, verse 12. And, and honestly, that's what this world right now needs. The world doesn't need Christians. Now, yeah, I mean, we do have to fight against true heresy. We need to fight against wokeness. You know, that you know, liberal theology, whatever, whatever term you want to throw out there uh, with it, we, we, we do need to fight against that. But my goodness, when Calvinists versus anti-Calvinists, who cares? Y'all, you believe in Jesus, you know, why, why, why? Pre-mail, A-mail, post-mail, oh, it, look, Jesus is coming back, y'all. Let's care about the lost. With all the darkness that's in this world, with all this violence that's going on in the world, with all the hate, the world is looking for people to stand up and to do good. The world is looking for people to stand up and do good. Who better than us? We have the life-giving message of the gospel. Why aren't we the ones going out there and making a difference in the world rather than spending our time just complaining about it?
Hey, but I mean, I'm pointing at myself too, by the way. You remember? You know that? Christians do so much complaining and they do very little doing good. We could change this world. You say, I want the world to change, then why aren't you out there changing it? Why aren't I out there changing it? When we change the world for good, when we do the world good, that's the good life. We look at the world and we think that this world is here for me and I am going to take from it as much as I can. And then we start taking on the world's values, the world's ideas, the world's thoughts, the world's everything, but so I can also get all the world's toys and all the world's comfort. And we think that's the good life. <laughs> We're fools. The good life isn't taking from the world. The good life is giving and pouring Christ out into the world. That's the good life. I'll close with this thought. I, re I read about this author, Dave Freeman. I, he's the one, I guess, that popularized the expression, you know, bucket list. You know, a list of things you want to do before you die. He wrote a book called 100 Things to Do Before You Die. So he actually passed away from an accident when he was only 47 year, years old. But, you know, the, the book actually begins with the words, life is a short journey, so how can you make sure you fill it with the most fun and that you visit all the coolest places on earth before you pack those bags for the very last time? And so, you know, his bucket list included attending the Academy Awards, going to the bull run in Spain, things like that. That's what he thought the good life was about. You know, that's what he thought would bring meaning and value to his life. And, you know, his dad said he died before he even did half of the things that were on his bucket list his, in his book. So as one, one pastor kind of analyzed this, he said, ask the average person on the planet, what is it that makes life fulfilling and meaningful and what brings you the most happiness? And you will hear a variety of answers, but most of them will have to do with something fun or experiencing something exciting or visiting a lot of places around the world or maybe all of the above. They think this is what makes the good life. Just write out your list and, and go for it, living for the world. Well, you know what? The Bible tells us something different about the good life. The good life means you go out there and you be a blessing to others. So let me ask you, Christian, are you living the good life? What is your version of the good life? Maybe you need to come to the altar today and ask God to give you a right mindset about what the good life entails. But you don't even start the good life until you repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you're saved. And that's where the good life just begins. I mean, you have the ultimate good, and Jesus is the ultimate good. But you have to start there. Have you even started there? If you've never even started there, come forward today during the invitation, give your life to Christ, and find out what the good life really is all about. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry 
or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.